Welcome to my podcast, Patient First. I'm Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon with 17 years of surgical experience. As the scientific convener of the Non-Surgical Symposium and a former president of the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, my goal is to help patients navigate the complex world of both surgical and non-surgical aesthetics, but by understanding what is evidence and what is not. This, I hope, is going to help them realize their aesthetic goals safely and in a manner consistent with good clinical practice. This podcast is an extension of that legacy. My aim is to empower you to make the most educated decisions about your choices concerning your face and body aesthetics and your safety. Each episode, I will be bringing to you cutting-edge science and exploring surgical procedures in a modern, evidence-based approach to aesthetics. Plus, I will be inviting some esteemed guests in my podcast in the future to offer new perspectives. Tune in each week as together we explore the next frontier of surgical and non-surgical aesthetics. Welcome back to the podcast, Patient First. In this episode, I'm going to explore a particularly thought-provoking concept where we're going to explore the complicated ethics around plastic surgery for young patients. I am your host, Dr. Naveen Somaya. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon. And over the years, I have been privileged to work in a kid's hospital with very young patients who have benefited from non-aesthetic plastic surgical procedures. This isn't about imposing standards or setting age limits. This is about navigating the individual circumstances and ensuring that patients, every single patient and their parents are supported by providing information that is necessary for them to make an informed choice in a manner that is respectful, collaborative and transparent. In the interest of full disclosure mandated by the Australian health regulators, my name is Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm a registered medical practitioner and a specialist plastic surgeon. My specialty Registration is in surgery and my field of speciality practice is plastic surgery. My APRA registration number is MED 0011898989. I wish to advise listeners of this podcast that information provided in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not constitute formal medical advice. All surgical and invasive procedures do carry risks. You should seek a second opinion from an appropriately qualified health practitioner. Surgical outcomes vary from patient to patient. What is experienced by one need not necessarily be the experience of another patient. With that introduction behind us, let's dive right into this complex topic. I have been very privileged to work in the children's hospital along with young patients, and that has naturally helped me understand the perspective with what patients and parents go through when they're confronted with a particular problem where the solution is a plastic surgical operation. At the outset, it's very important to clarify two points. First of all, plastic surgery for reconstruction or plastic surgery for cosmetic enhancement. Now, one is called reconstructive plastic surgery and the other one is called as cosmetic plastic surgery. Just to make it very clear that in my opinion, there is no role for a cosmetic enhancement or plastic surgery for cosmetic purposes in children. As a plastic surgeon, my role is to be the safeguard and act only in the best interest of the patient at all times. 
by recommending ethical and evidence-based treatments that serve the objective interest of the patient and avoid overly invasive, risky and unnecessary procedures. In the process of assessing what is right, what is wrong in discussion with the parents, we have to factor in and I do factor in criteria such as age of the patient. Is the patient mature to go through the process? Is the psychological preparedness there? Is the emotive state of the patient? And is there a motivation that is aligned with best practice? These have to be assessed at the consultation. The consultation, as I've mentioned before, is in a setting where it is comfortable, respectful, collaborative, and informative. Patients need the time. Patients need the space. Patient needs to be listened to. There's multiple back and forth consultations before the patients can make a decision which is in the best interest alongside their parents. In children, there are many conditions that would benefit from non-aesthetic, in other words, non-cosmetic plastic surgical procedures. There is a whole list of conditions that uh, everyone is familiar with. But what I would like to share with you is my experience in dealing with children who have vascular birthmarks. They're born with uh, either abnormalities of the arteries, of the veins, a combination of arteries and vein abnormalities, or lymphatic abnormalities. Also with kids who are born with very prominent ears, that could be a problem for them growing up. Or kids who are born with uh, cleft lip and palate uh, that obviously need uh, restoration for obvious reasons. When you talk about uh, young teenagers in women, in young girls, we see a condition called macromastia, also with extremely large breasts. And this is a result of excessive hormone production during uh, uh, puberty, and the response can be quite exaggerated. And these do have not only physical problems, but also social interactions get uh, restricted or limited. Similarly, in young adult boys, uh, the having uh, breast tissue growing uh, when they're not meant to have breast tissue can cause a whole heap of problems that will uh, impact their activities as well as their life. Now, when we see patients with uh, vascular birthmarks, we usually see them commonly because they do occur in all areas of the body, but most of them happen to be in the face and the neck area. You could have a birthmark in the eyelid, in the nose, in your lip, in your cheek, in your ear. Now, depending on the size and the location and the impact, it can be a really important one to act early or you need to start treating them at an appropriate time. So it is very complex to understand these patients because sometimes the functional need is so critical that they need to have an operation much earlier on, maybe in the first year of their life. Whereas in some other cases, you could probably wait for a bit longer till they achieve a certain degree of maturity before you can attempt to start treating the patients. So this is all done in the context of a multidisciplinary care environment where you have multiple specialities and specialists interact with the patient. Each one person offers their expertise in solving the problem. And plastic surgery happens to be one of the many specialties involved in treating vascular birthmarks. Now, when I consider surgery as a surgical uh, solution to address a problem, we always look for a few things. The first thing is, is the purpose and the aim of the surgery 
realistic? And is a patient competent to make the decision either by patient themselves or patients and the parents supported? Are the parents supportive or are the patients drive, are parents driving their agenda? There is a degree of deformity that the patient is concerned about. Is it noticeable? And is the expectation for correction appropriate? What is the maturity level of the patient? Or will the patient grow out of this deformity? Is a social cost to the patient? And are certain issues that we see in plastic surgery clinics in kids, uh, because they are located on the face and conditions such as prominent ears, they may impact the social interaction of children at a certain age. It does not happen to everybody. It doesn't happen to everybody at, every, at the same time, but there is a possibility that we entertain any. Another important factor to consider is the patient compliant to manage with the post-operative care, or do we have to make special arrangements for that? So these are all the things that are running through my mind when I see a patient who I feel is a candidate for plastic surgery to correct something that can be improved in the face or body. I have touched on a new few conditions that we commonly seen that fall within a uh, well within the bell curve, as we say. But there are things that do bother patients that fall outside this common concerns that we see. If we encounter problems that are not very common but very important for the patient, then what as registered specialist plastic surgeons, we recommend a multidisciplinary consultative process, including other specialities who can add their areas of expertise to help solve this problem for the patient. It will involve other surgeons. It might involve other medical specialities, including a psychological assessment or a uh, psychiatrist uh, opinion as well. That way we know that whatever we do had the best interest of the patient at heart has been independently and objectively assessed by individual specialities who feel that that is in the best interest of the patient to go ahead with the operation. And that level of professional support in a manner that is respectful of the patient's autonomy, is respectful of the amount of information required by the patient to make the decision, respectful of the time given to the patient to reconsider options, rethink the treatments provided will always help achieve a positive outcome as intended to and expected of by the patient. So when we talk about plastic surgery, young adults, or it is very important to talk about the elephant in the room that is social media networking sites. Now, compared to 20 years ago, things have dramatically changed. So a couple of things are very important. Number one, it is the unfiltered, unfettered access of everything on social media connected to cosmetic surgery, beauty, and related procedures available to kids as young as 10 who happen to access social media. And I'm not an expert on algorithms, but I understand that once you show an interest in one particular stream, you constantly get fed information unsolicited information on that stream in a manner that is seen as a gradually escalating. These things do impact patients' understanding of the world at large, especially with uh, when cosmetic surgery is related to body issues, face issues, people posting photographs that are almost near perfect or unachievable ideals. You have people who are quote-unquote influencers who are on social media promoting products and treatments without adequate disclaimers. You have people promoting unrealistic achievements and 
quote unquote, normalizing the acceptance so that a younger person feels that this is very appropriate, very reasonable. In other words, instead of the bar being raised, the standards are being lowered. The access points are easy. It is interesting to note that just recently, last week, uh, there was a testimony before a United States Senate subcommittee on technology and law wherein a very senior employee of a social media company gave his testimony. This has been widely publicized on the internet, and uh, you're welcome to have a look at that. And I'd like to summarize a few key points which have featured in that testimony. The first thing is, it has been shown that about one in three young girls have issues with body image, and about 30% of the people have had some sort of negative interaction on social media that has commented on uh, issues such as the body image, the social standing, the social esteem, being bullied. And also, a lot of teens have attributed social media interactive networking sites as a cause for issues such as anxiety, depression, and other things. So this is a real problem that we see. And if we go back a few years, even in Australia, we had social media, a heavy level of activity in cosmetic surgery and social media, the one particular practitioner being the most uh, famous uh, cosmetic surgeon on social media. Kids as young as 11 had access to video footage on TikTok that was intraoperative video footage. And I hate to think how a young mind of an 11-year-old could have been influenced by seeing operative video footage and the dope jokes and other antics that went around in the operating theater, which was now regarded as a norm. So we, when we see patients in plastic surgery, we are very mindful of what they have been exposed to, what they think is normal, which not need not necessarily be the normal in the professional plastic surgical world. And it is our duty of care to tell these patients, educate them, take the time to ensure that patients are well aware of the risks of procedures, well aware of the fact that an invasive procedure is irreversible to a degree, well aware that, that choosing a professional person and a safe registered practitioner has its merits, and to also think of having a cooling off period if they're planning to go ahead and have cosmetic surgery. I, I know this uh, podcast will not be viewed by a 10-year-old or 11-year-old person, but it certainly will be viewed by parents who have 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds in their house. And uh, my, my request is for the parents to understand the reach of social media into their kids' bedrooms, so to speak, and also into their lives. The information that is uncensored, unfiltered, unfettered access to body transformations access to ideals of face and body beauty that in some cases may be extreme, in some cases unrealistic. And it is time to have a very honest conversation about the impact of social media and ensure that you have safety safeguards built in that prevent this extraordinary exposure to cosmetic surgery, body image issues, and other issues concerning face and body beauty that in some cases are not necessarily helpful. And uh, this is something that I would encourage all parents to consider and have a open approach to dealing with this issue, which, as we know, will progressively get worse with time because of the access of social media, body image issues, and body modification and body beautification issues. The Medical Board of Australia and 
of the medical regulator APRA, AHPRA, brought out recent guidelines that came into effect the 1st of July, 2023. Now, these guidelines covered a whole heap of details concerning the practice of cosmetic surgery and cosmetic procedures, as well as the advertising guidelines that regulated and prescribed how cosmetic procedures and cosmetic surgery can be advertised. This in itself is an essential safeguard for young patients who are contemplating cosmetic surgery. There are multiple built-in safeguards. And the first one is it is always important to consult with a practitioner who is a registered specialist in that area. The second thing is, although the parent is the legal guardian and the parent will be accompanying the patient to the consultation, it is important that the patient's wishes, motivations have, have to be considered by the specialist. There is a mandatory referral from a GP. So if the GP does not think the procedure is appropriate, that is your first essential safeguard. There is a mandatory cooling off period after you've had the consultation with your specialist. And that period is a three-month mandatory period of cooling, as we call it. Now, this is particularly important because it prevents decisions to be made in haste, decisions to be done as a part of an impulsive decision-making process because surgery is invasive, surgery carries risks, surgery is irreversible. There is a mandatory psychological assessment done by the specialist at the consultation with the provision to escalate to a formal psychological assessment or a psychiatric assessment as appropriate. This is another essential safeguard because it is my experience that patients who see certain aspects tend to have certain things on the blind spot. It's only a specialist who has got a very focused look at these mental framework, whether the patient is mentally ready to go through the procedure. Is the patient emotionally capable of handling the post-operative results? Is the patient emotionally capable of handling the post-operative care and the compliance that comes with it are very essential and integral parts of making sure that the whole process works in the best interest of the patient. So these are certain safety safeguards. In addition, there are safeguards such as the use of botulinum toxin and dermal fillers is prohibited for people under the age of 18. The information that has to be provided to the patient and to the parents have to be in a manner that is easily understood and digestible. There has to be a mandatory second and a third consultation if necessary. And it is my practice that we allow as many consultations as necessary for them to make that decision. Patients have to be informed formally that at any given time, they can take their consent away or refuse to have the surgery and not proceed. And there should be ethical practice dictates that there should be no sales process, hard sales, time deadlines for the patient to sign up. These, in a sense, are essential safety safeguards. That coupled with the advertising safety safeguards, such as ensuring that you can use a title surgeon only if you're a registered specialist surgeon, ophthalmologist or gynecologist, you cannot call yourself a plastic surgeon unless you have registration in the recognized discipline of plastic surgery. And every single communication that you as a specialist surgeon conveys to the patient or the parent has to include your registration status, your APRA medical number, your official title, area of specialty practice. This amount of transparency and authenticity is aligned with good ethical clinical practice. And these are all essential safeguards that we support. Another important concept that we need to address is the fact 
the older teenagers or the young adults, the people under 18 but uh, or 15, 16, this cohort has all the information that they need to make an independent decision. And unfortunately, this evolves and revolves around procedures that are very common, such as breast implantation, rhinoplasty, and liposuction. And these are procedures that are commonly available on the social media networking sites with significant amount of celebrities who've had these procedures, a huge number of influencers who people of this age group follow who've had these procedures. And as a consequence, a lot of these have become normalized. Now, the first and the foremost rule is to see what is legally allowed uh, under the age of 18. Now, liposuction has got no role under the age of 18. So does breast implants and so does a cosmetic rhinoplasty. Now, these are important considerations. And I'll say that again, if your under 18 year old child or an under 18 year old person has not been certified to be legally responsible to be served alcohol, there is no reason that person should be accessing cosmetic surgery such as liposuction such as cosmetic breast implants, and such as cosmetic rhinoplasty. Now, these operations are plastic surgical operations, and I've mentioned before, when you perform them for non-cosmetic reasons. So for a young adult who's got an issue with the breast being, has a problem with breast growth, there's a breast asymmetry due to a lack of adequate growth in one breast. Similarly with rhinoplasty, the nose is a structure that is quite a complex structure that impacts breathing primarily. Now, due to other underlying developmental issues, if patients have had issues with the nose and the breathing, that certainly impacts their health and well-being. There is a role for rhinoplasty to be performed on them to focus on the breathing aspects. Now, I've seen children who've had a vascular birthmark on the nose. They're born with this huge vascular birthmark on the nose that puts a lot of pressure on the growing cartilages. So these patients do end up having that whole vascular birthmark or venous malformation or hemangioma excised when they're very young in a manner that includes techniques identical to a cosmetic rhinoplasty. But here the indication is not the cosmesis. Cosmesis is a secondary indication. The primary indication is to take away the pressure of the growing vascular tumor on the growing cartilages of the bone, on the of the nose, so that the natural development and the growth of the nose can occur according to what it's meant to be. Liposuction has no role as in a cosmetic operation in patients under the age of 18. I have performed liposuction in kids when they've got a congenital, in other words, born with bond birth defects called lymphedema or some sort of hypertrophy or lipodystrophy where one leg is three times the size of the other leg. The technique used is liposuction because the excess tissue is fat, but the indication is mainly so that that particular patient can have a mobility, have gait, and hopefully the impact of that on the joints over the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years could be minimized. Asymmetry due to lipodystrophy on one leg where the other leg is normal is a very important consideration for young kids or young adults because the concept of asymmetry, if it can be addressed, is actually very valuable for them. It starts off with impacting gait, 
impacting choice of clothing. Everything has to be made special and tailored specially, which is actually quite logistically difficult, uh, adds the cost. So these situations, it is very important to use what we have as skills in a framework that has been prescribed by the Medical Board of Australia and the APRA to ensure that all due process is followed with all the safety safeguards to ensure that the patient has nothing but ethical and evidence-based plastic surgery to address concerns that they suffer from. Because uh, plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery is a global phenomenon, it's very common to see branding procedures globally, and you soon become aware of the possibilities of uh, certain procedures. And I'll uh, list a few of them. They may be not complete, but nevertheless, that's a good start. Leg lengthening is a procedure that we commonly see being promoted overseas, where the leg of the person who wishes to become taller is initially, quote-unquote, fractured surgically precisely and then lengthened over a period of time to give an extra inch or two or whatever is possible. Now, this is a procedure that is quite common in places where the general overall height is shorter and hence there is a market for that, if I can use the term market. The other procedures that we see uh, at place overseas, jaw slimming for people who are born with broad, wide jaws. And uh, This is a surgical procedure to reduce the jaw to go in. And uh, the double eyelid surgery or creating a crease on the upper eyelid is a very common procedure that it's seen predominantly in people of East Asian origin. And uh, in some cases, people have a Brazilian butt lips at a much younger age, depending on which part of the world you are living. And in some parts of the world, accessing a rhinoplasty is not hard at all. Now, when patients who have a global view of plastic surgery and try to seek that particular operation in Australia, they are bound by the rules and regulations that actually protect their safety, they protect their uh, independence and uh, respect their privacy and the access to these procedures. Certain procedures are banned. In fact, leg length lengthening is not done in Australia for cosmetic reasons. Uh, rhinoplasty has got significant safeguards in how a young person under the age of 18 can access that, and it's very prescriptive in terms of uh, specific indications only. Brazilian butt lift will not be performed in someone who's younger than 18 in Australia because the rules, regulations, and the guidelines uh, ensure that that particular patient is actually protected by the system that is prevalent in Australia and the professional standards of uh, registered specialist plastic surgeons. The other operation, such as double eyelid surgery, which is creating a crease in patients of East Asian origin, if a younger person other than the age of 18 attempts to access this uh, through registered specialist plastic surgeons, when they go through the framework and uh, see what is uh, the uh, age of the patient, I can assure you that 100% of them would say this is not an age-appropriate procedure. Once they become an adult, then they're welcome to make an independent decision, and then they could go through the process all over again. So in some ways, a lot of these procedures that are in vogue overseas where there's very lax standards or lack of safety safeguards to protect the practitioner as well as protect the patient has been reinforced following the guidelines that came into force the 1st of July 2023 in Australia, uh, protecting not only patients from extreme body modification procedures, but also inappropriate body modification procedures for that age.
I think an essential safety safeguard, both for the patient and the practitioner, is to have a patient-first or a patient-centric approach when it comes to plastic surgery for reconstructive reasons or plastic surgery for cosmetic purposes. For example, if a patient under the age of 18 walks into my practice and asks, can I have a cosmetic procedure or a cosmetic indication? The answer is always no, because this is not appropriate. If the same patient asks a plastic surgical procedure for a reconstructive or functional, then the patient has a right to be heard along with the patient's parents in a manner that is open, honest, transparent, respectful, and informative. If we need to then escalate the care to involve multiple disciplines of specialists to facilitate the provision of the care, then that is what is going to be actioned. The patient has to have a mandatory cooling off period of three months, a mandatory psychological vulnerability assessment to see if the patient is able to go through the procedure and if necessary, escalate to a psychological assessment. There is plenty of time to see, think, and rethink your options so that there is no pressure to sign on the dotted line. The time frame between consult one and consult two and consult two and consult three is significant that will give both the patient as well as the patient's parents time to rethink the choices. They always have access to plenty of information as and when they need. We keep an open approach to any questions they wish to ask us. All lines of communication are open. Our aim is to facilitate adequate education of the patient and the parents to facilitate an informed consent process. And I think that is the key. Because there are very clear guidelines about cosmetic surgery and the source of influencing occurs on a social media site, people may feel instead of escalating to a surgical procedure, we can de-escalate to a non-surgical aesthetic procedure. And it is not uncommon to see young patients under the age of 18 ask for non-surgical procedures such as botulinum toxin injections or dermal filler injections because there is a lot of information around, obviously generated by people and propagated by influences. There's a concept called preventative aesthetic treatments. Now, whether they are scientifically sound or not, it's debatable. However, it is there's no doubt that it is trendy. It is there out in the open. So it is only a matter of time before a younger person will have access to this information, which will then prompt them to think, oh, maybe I can do this. The answer again is if a patient under the age of 18 asks for procedures like botulinum toxin or dermal fillers, the answer is still no. It is not appropriate for a young person under the age of 18 to have either one of these two aesthetic treatments that otherwise are very popular, very common in the adult population. Plastic surgery has a very rich history and a legacy of healing. It is an essential part of the surgical armamentarium that has been used for thousands of years to help heal problems. Problems due to distorted anatomy due to birth defects, distorted anatomy due to trauma, due to cancer, and these are all very effective. Plastic surgical procedures used for cosmetic indications is trending, popular, and effective. When it comes to cosmetic enhancement procedures in the age group under the age of 18, the answer is always a, a no. We say this because this age group is now being subjected to significant amount of influencing through social media, significant amount of influencing through influences on social media, product placements on social media, and soon everyone starts to understand 
this in much more detail than, say, somebody 10, 15 years ago. The concept of making something that is a cosmetic enhancement procedure acceptable to somebody under the age of 18 has repercussions way beyond the procedure. It has implications on how you see yourself, how you see your social interactions, how you see your body. And as I mentioned earlier, the recent submission to the American Senate identified that about one in three young girls have issues with body image. This is data from social media networking sites. So if this is something that you are aware of and you suspect this is happening, it might be time to have an open, honest conversation and support people so that they understand what the goalposts are for normalcy. And if you wish to have a consultation with the professional, it's always advisable for you to speak to your general practitioner first and then escalate the referral to a registered specialist if necessary. These specialists will have your best interest at heart in a manner that is patient-friendly and patient-centric because they operate within the framework of the guidelines when it comes to cosmetic procedures, which is applicable for adults as well as for cosmetic procedures under 18. You can be assured that at any given time, your autonomy is going to be respected, your privacy is going to be respected, and your safety prioritized over and above everything else. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Patient First. I hope you found this podcast useful. Remember, I'm always listening. And if you have any questions you would like me to answer on the show or upcoming episodes, please connect with me via my clinic website. Thank you.